0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I have uh, one of my favorite repeating guests here. And I say not just my favorite, but one of your favorites because I actually look at the numbers that come in when you guys are looking at shows. I think we have like 300,000 downloads of this podcast, which is amazing. As a part of that, one of the most popular shows we have had and have been doing is with uh, Michelle Mays, who's a therapist I really think is just cutting edge and on the button when it comes to What do partners and spouses go through when they're betrayed and how do couples begin to regain trust when there's been profound cheating and betrayal? So welcome back, Michelle. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and then we'll get to our topic.
1: Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. So what am I doing right now? I am continuing to run the Center for Relational Recovery. I'm the owner of and clinical director of the counseling center that we have in Northern Virginia outside of DC. So I'm continuing to work with my team. there, delivering treatment to addicts and betrayed partners. And I am doing some writing. I'm working on a book for partners, for betrayed partners that looks at betrayal from an attachment perspective. So really looking at what happens to the relational connection between the two people when betrayal enters the picture. So it sounds like, Michelle,
0: what you are really, you know, one of the things about being a therapist, I think, um, in active practice, as you are working with a particular population, betrayed couples and spouses, cheating couples, we get to see parts of things, I think, really clearly. And then just when we see that, we see a deeper level of it. And I know on our last show, we talked, and it was a very popular show, we talked about disclosure, and we talked about what it means to someone who's been, t- been betrayed in an intimate relationship. What does it mean to them to find out the whole truth? In what way could you begin to help the couple work through the whole truth? What is the meaning of having a kind of a common ground for information and facts in a coupleship so that when there's been betrayal or hurt, we can start from an even playing field? And we've talked a lot about that. But you have something that I think is really fascinating. You're looking right now at the moment of what happens in an intimate coupleship, male-male, female-female, male, male-female, doesn't matter. When a partner finds out that, oh my God, you've been cheating on me, oh my God, all these years or all these weeks, I thought it was this and it was that. And I thought you were this and you were that. And here you've been, you know, seeing sex workers, having affairs, whatever it is you've been doing. And oh my God, what does all of that mean? And I think you've come up with an extraordinarily useful way of looking at what happens to that person when they're trying to figure out what is love anymore when I've been betrayed like this? And how do I turn to the person and love them, but at the same time hate them? And so can you talk a little bit
1: about what you're seeing and what you're learning about? Yeah, so I think what I've been doing some thinking about is, you know, as a field, I think uh, when Barbara Steffens introduced the trauma model back in, I think, 2006, maybe it was, uh, you know, when she did that, we really got it as a field.
0: And that's, let me just be clear, that's the betrayal trauma model, meaning someone who's experienced profound infidelity, what they're going through and their response to that is a form of trauma. That's what we're talking about.
1: Right. So I think we really got it as a field that we are dealing with somebody who has experienced a trauma and started to apply what we understood about treating trauma to how we treat betrayed partners. And I think that has really pushed us forward as a field in a really good way and been really good for partners and their treatment. So the piece that I'm really kind of looking at is how do we now kind of go another step forward and really look at The way that the person's attachment system, and by that we mean how we connect to other people and bond with other people, not with our minds, but at a bodily-based level that happens in our physiology, like in our biology. So you're talking
0: about emotional connection, like you and I, hey, we're bonded, but we're not love bonded or romantically bonded, but we're still bonded as respectful professional. We have a level of attachment that could be hurt or supported. And just like anyone in a relationship, you're attached to someone to various degrees. And when something happens, your connection to them is threatened in various ways. And that's really what Michelle's looking at.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about that, but I'm specifically talking about The way that we pair bond, so the way that we connect with our romantic partners, because when we form up into long-term relationships with our significant other, we actually, like we use the language of poetry, like the two shall become one, to describe an actual biological reality, because we actually start to regulate each other's heart rate, our breathing, our blood pressure, our hormone levels.
0: Wait, wait, wait. This is all that stuff about people who love each other and live together, actually live longer or live healthier because they are sort of supporting and mutually on a biological level. When you're a deeply engaged couple, you're actually supporting each other in ways you don't even know about. I think that's part of what you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah. You're actually kind of one organism. <laughs> like You've actually become together functioning as a unit. And I
0: want to say that's a good thing, right? That doesn't mean you don't have separate personalities. Or- separate lives, but there's also a of you call the relationship, which exists as a connection between the two of you that goes beyond either of you as individuals.
1: It's a great thing, right? It's our like most, it's our most basic coping tool. And it's the thing that we all want is to be that connected to another person and supported by them and feel loved by them and all of that. So it's a great thing. It's not in any way, something that should be considered codependent or anything like that. It's a great thing.
0: Well, you know, I don't believe in codependence. So I will say the closer a couple gets and the more they are up in each other's business, the better they are, (laughs) the happier they are, the more connected they are. I don't necessarily mean enmeshment is a good thing unless it's in the service of dysfunction. But you know, I want to be that person who's 80, who looks just like my partner, and you can't tell us apart. I think that's a good thing. I agree with you, Michelle. You know those old folks are kind of like they have tan totally. shorts and green shirts and flip-flops, and from a distance you can't tell who is the You know, – I'm just saying. I want to be that person. I think that's a good thing. So I'm just letting it all out here. Anyway, please, Michelle, talk. So I love you. I find out about this. We're connected. What happens to me?
1: So what happens for a person who is in that kind of bonded relationship and connected relationship with their partner is when they find out that their partner, this person that they typically turn to for support and companionship and play and love is now the very person who hurt them, who betrayed them, who has wounded them in one of the deepest ways they could be wounded. They now are in this enormous dilemma. And it's a very unique dilemma. It's different from other traumas because it is the person who is your safe base in the world, the person who you usually turn to for safety is now the person who has hurt you.
0: Like my best friend, the person I live with. Right.
1: Yeah. That that is now the person who has harmed you. It creates this enormous dilemma for betrayed partners. And what happens for them is that they experience what we call, I call this attachment ambivalence. And the word ambivalence means to feel two opposing things at exactly the same time.
0: And we could say it in a more casual way, like my love, my deep love and connection to you is now ambivalent. I don't just love you, I also feel the opposite.
1: Oh yeah. I love you today and I hate you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right? So what happens for partners is they really have two
0: states, kind of states.
1: Two states. Consciousness states. Yeah, Yeah, but our brain fires and says, you're in danger. You need to do something. You need to get out of danger. Right. And when this kind of danger happens, our brain actually sends us opposing messages. So one message is, hey, this is the person that you've always turned to. And this is a person who makes you feel safe and comforted. And they're your person in the world. Go toward them. Right. Like you need to reconnect with them in order to feel safe. And, and heal up this wound and this breach that has happened. Mm-hmm. So that's one message we get. Right. But at the same time, our brain also says, get away from the danger.
0: Danger, danger.
1: Run away. And so then that part of us is saying, wait, you're the person who hurt me. You're the person who did this to me. I have to get away from you. I have to create distance between you and me in order for me to be safe.
0: So Michelle, I have to say, I really love that you're talking about this because throughout the work that I've done with the compulsive sexual behavior and, and infidelity in general, you know, I've always, I think it's easy for us as therapists to not understand the position of the spouse because they come in on one day and they say, oh, I, I, you know, I really do love them and I hope they get better and I want things to get better. And even though I hate what they did, I, I still, and then they come in a week later, I hate them. I don't want to live with them. I can't stand them. And they do, you know, there is this sense and you've really named it. I never understood it before like the person that i was married to the person i was committed to what i thought that was is gone now because i will never be able to know to honestly think that you could go out in the world and not hurt me and know it because now that you've cheated on me i know you're someone who can go out in the world and hurt me and know it and do it anyway so that basic trust in you're the person who will always protect me save you know save rescue and support me because you are my most important spouse that's gone because you know that person has gone out in the world and deliberately hurt you in ways they knew that would hurt you and they put themselves first so that is what a spouse is presented with: with the person that they most hopefully loved, felt connected to, their best friend, their partner, the person that they were going to be with till you know whatever, is now the person who's also actively hurt them. And how do you face that dilemma? So, what do you see in those issues, Michelle?
1: Well, so what I see for partners is that they are on this wild roller coaster ride, where from one moment to the next, from one day to the next, from one week to the next. Depending on which part of the safety message is winning, they are either pulled back toward the betraying partner, toward the addict, toward the unfaithful person, and trying to reconnect with them.
0: Support me, help me, be there for me, right?
1: Yeah. Or they are pushing away as hard as they can and fighting and distancing and trying to create distance.
0: I can't stand you. You've hurt me. You've ruined my life. Get away from me.
1: Right. So they're back and forth between these two behaviors over and over and over again. And I think like you said, Rob, coming into the therapy office, they come in, in all of these different places. So I I supervise and train new therapists that are working with partners, you know, that are brand new to working with partners. And they'll say to me, yeah, my client came in and she's done with the marriage. She's leaving him. She said it's all over. So I guess, you know, they're just going to get divorced. And I'll say to them, well, you know, we don't know that. Like, we don't actually know what's going to happen because she's in this dilemma bouncing all over the place between distance and closeness with this person. So you just need to hold space for her and let her be... In all these different places. So they inevitably, the therapist will come back in the next week and be like, yeah, well, they had a good week this week, it looks like they might stay married. Huh. And I'll say, yeah, and you don't know that. <laughs> you, know, you don't know if that's gonna happen. We're gonna hold space and let her, him, whoever, bounce around in this dilemma for a while, because it goes on for a while.
0: So Michelle, this really reminds me of a situation I had with the clients years ago. And I want to understand if you think this is an example of this. So it's a little long story, but I'll be quick. I worked with a couple for like nine months and there was a lot of infidelity, a lot of hurt, a lot of betrayal, but there was also a lot of good, solid effort to make things better. And I think both members of the couple had been working on it and, you know, they were really improving their communication, their caring, their honesty. I thought things were getting really good. And they went away for a weekend and everyone kind of agreed, okay, you know, it might be time for them to be intimate, be closer. They've been working hard. And so they did. They went away for this weekend. And despite the betrayal, you know, almost a year ago, they, they had a wonderful weekend. They had fun. They were reminded of the love they shared when they were starting out and they made love and it was a great weekend. And so they're driving down from this little weekend they had on their way home. And the spouse, the female spouse in this case, looked up as they're driving home and the husband's driving and she sees a, a Victoria's Secret sign. And she starts to think to herself, God darn it. Those are the kind of women he was, I can't believe. And she gets furious All of a sudden this happened. They're driving away from a lovely weekend. And she says, stop the car, stop the car. What I got He's like, what are you talking about? We had this lovely weekend. I hate you. You ruined my life. I can't believe I went away with you. What was I thinking now to the average therapist that might seem like this person was crazy, but going along with what you're kind of saying, it's like, okay, she, this particular person, started feeling connected again, started feeling good again, started feeling like trusting again. And then maybe she saw that billboard and thought, oh, my God, that is the very situation. Trusting him, letting myself open up to him, getting close to him is the very thing that hurt me. And I don't want to do that again, because look at that billboard. Those, that's why I got hurt. And so she shifts in within a minute, on the freeway, from that connected space to that dismissive get away from me space. And then he's sitting there thinking, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? I thought nothing happened. Is she crazy? And of course, she's not crazy. She's responding to being reminded of what happened to her. So is that like a lengthy kind of example of what you're talking about?
1: I think it's a great example. So tell me
0: what you think went on in that situation in terms of attachment. What are you exactly talking about?
1: What I really see, I think what you said is true. Like she saw something that reminded her. But I think the bigger, even the bigger underlying dynamic is that she's just had this weekend where she allowed herself to be vulnerable again. She allowed herself to move close to the person who hurt her. And in that closeness, it puts her at more risk for being hurt. So if he would, if he were to go out and cheat on her again and hurt her again, and after already being hurt, she's like, come back close to him. No, she's a double fool. Yeah, and she's let herself be close and she's let herself be connected and she's put her walls down and he were to do that, then that would be incredibly devastating. So I think what we see is partners who after moments of closeness, there can be a recoil out of it because of the fear of the vulnerability and what can happen if they allow themselves to stay in that kind of close connection to the person who betrayed them. So we see this a lot. Like I think about the example of you know often when we're working with our partners who have the individual who has cheated we're working with them on empathy building and helping them respond to the betrayed partner with empathy and showing up for the betrayed partner being willing to hear the betrayed partner's pain we're really working with them and coaching them on how to do those things and i think about times when they're they're kind of going in and they're doing it and Like if I, as a therapist, were a fly on the wall, I'd be like, you're nailing it. You're doing so good. You're doing it great. And they're doing exactly what we've asked them to do, right? And then the betrayed partner responds with rage and anger. And I think it leaves the unfaithful partner reeling because they're like, what? I was told, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing.
0: And we're saying things like, maybe she's crazy or what? You know, we were, things were good before. And now they're like, what's going on with her? Now she becomes the object of the problem.
1: Yeah, she can become the object of the problem or it can just be really confusing because it's like the cheater's been in therapy being told this is what will help make things better. And then when they do it, it feels like it gets worse. But what's really happening is the partner is seeing it and they're seeing the cheating partner reach for them relationally and they're saying it's just too scary. It's maybe too soon, but it's just too scary. It's too scary for me to allow that to come in, for me to really accept it. I would have to be vulnerable. Like One of my clients said to me, I would feel like I was standing stark naked in front of him if I let him come that close to me right now. And I can't do it. It's too scary. I feel terrified.
0: Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love & Addiction podcast. You know, I have to say, and and not to be overly therapy-ish, but this is totally therapy-ish, that there is a whole theory on, on how children attach and then detach from parents called rapprochement. And it has to do with the idea that I kind of need the parent and then I don't need the parent. I want to come up to them, but I, I want to be individual. I want to be separate. I want to be my own self, but I want to be connected to them. And you'll see children two, three, four years old go back and forth between really individual and then running into mom's arms for comfort and then being really individual because they want to begin to express themselves, but they're also scared to death of the world and they want that safe base to come back to. And I do think marriages in some ways are a repetition of our childhood. You know, we are deeply attached to someone that we expect to love and care and protect us as we will love and care and protect. For them, that's the difference. But when there's a breakdown, just like a breakdown between a parent and a child, I can imagine that someone kind of goes back and forth with that question about love, then becomes a question and not so much a given.
1: Yeah, I think it becomes a question and I think it becomes threatening. Instead of it being a safe base that I return to when the world gets overwhelming for me and I come back and then I get myself like resourced up and I feel good to go back out into the world again which is what happens when our safe base really is safe for us.
0: Right. Like when you're a kid, hopefully.
1: Yeah. Instead, it starts to feel like when I come over here to the safe base, I might get hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, betrayal really takes the safety out of that, out of the home base.
0: Well, you're breaking the connection. It's just simple as that, and and folks, when you cheat, listen, cheat all you want, but ask your partner first. I'm telling you, like if you want to go out there and cheat, it's not that you cheated or didn't cheat. It's that it's the lying, the the disconnection in the relationship. This will kill your relationship. Better to go to your partner and say, I want to cheat. I found someone I want to cheat with, and tell them all about them. And then you can watch your partner cry and hurt in real time, but they will still be connected to you because on some level you didn't go out and do this. And by the way, you will sit and look at them and think, oh my God, is this the kind of pain it would cause them if I cheated? Maybe I better not. If you want to live in real time, live in real time and make decisions with people that you love that give them the respect they deserve. Um, I don't care who you sleep with. What I care about is if you lie. And I think that is the biggest issue for us in relationships.
1: Yeah, I think it really is. It is the betrayal. Mm Mm-hmm that is at the heart of the wound in the relationship.
0: So Michelle, you've done, I mean, this is, I have to say, and I'm not being like radio-like or podcast-like. I'm really, really impressed with this. I have not heard this before. And for all the years I've been doing this work, this is a primary issue we deal with with a betrayed partner, which is the, the constant back and forth. And also this, we push... Betrayed partners, those who have been cheated on strongly, to find a peer group for support. And I think this is exactly why. You know, when I work with a therapist, and I do, and I just talked to one yesterday who said, you know, I don't think the spouse is able to move past her anger right now. My first question is, what kind of support does she have in a group of other women who've been betrayed where she can begin to have a place to take her anger that isn't him? Because Part of having a peer support group as someone who's been betrayed is you can talk about how hurt you are and how angry you are and how frustrated you are and how afraid you are and how disappointed you are. And you're expressing that to people other than the person who's your best friend and your former partner or your current partner. It does unfortunately fall, I think, on partners who've been cheated on to now have to grow your circle of support. And maybe, Michelle, this directly speaks to what you're saying, because if I can't trust the person who I've been married to and I'm not ready to even begin to trust them, I still need trust, right? I still need people I can depend on. What do I do about that?
1: Yeah, no, I think having that circle of support is incredibly, incredibly important. And, you know, I always say that we can kind of draw a line down our roster of clients at the um, counseling center and see like who's doing well and who isn't doing well. And almost to a person, the ones who are doing well are in group or in some kind of support group, whether the cheating partner or the betrayed partner.
0: So I, I know why that is as a therapist, but I want to ask you to articulate, why do you think, okay, I can understand why someone with an addiction, you know, goes into a group with other people with addiction and some people, you know, have a little more time getting well, so they learn from them. Some people are brand new, so they are teaching, you know, it's a wonderful experience to work with addicts who are in different stages of recovery, supporting each other. But what is the point of bringing together a bunch of betrayed spouses? I mean, they haven't done anything wrong. And why do they need to go, go to a group? I mean, it's not like there's something wrong with them. So how would you talk to a spouse about, about the need and this, how helpful this might be when they're already thinking like, you know, my, my husband or wife cheated on me. They hurt me. They let me down. They did this to me. And now I'm supposed to get help? Like I'm supposed to pay for therapy? That's ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with me. They screwed me over. How do you get that partner to move from there to maybe it would be good to sit with other people?
1: So, I have a two part answer. One is I want to help that partner look at why they're saying it's not my problem and I'm not the one that did anything wrong and he should go to therapy. Why should I go? I didn't cheat on anybody. I think that for most partners, when they're in that place and partners do get stuck in that place, that it's about shame that they feel that is carried shame from the addiction or from the cheating.
0: Or even from their past. We don't know what they're carrying shame
1: around. Or even from their past. Yeah. But, but I do think for most partners that when they're cheated on, particularly if you female partner, in our culture, we do, we do tend to culturally shame females. Like if your man cheated on you, what'd you do wrong? And so there is a carried shame that comes with being cheated on, where the shame attaches to the betrayed partner. So I think when partners are saying, it's your problem, I, I don't need to go to therapy, you go to therapy, I didn't cheat, I didn't do anything wrong, that they are trying to push the shame away from themselves.
0: But they're not wrong, are they?
1: They're not wrong, but I think their way of dealing with the shame is to try to push it away. And the reality is that when you actually go sit in a group with other betrayed partners, that is actually what, yeah, that is what actually addresses that carried shame.
0: And why is that, Michelle? What, I can think, why would I want to sit around with a bunch of other people and feel even more humiliated because I'm, I'm another cheated loser like them? That's what I would be thinking about, not wanting to go to a group like that. How do you counter that? What do you say?
1: Well, I get—I just think about, like, as you asked me that question, I see all these faces pass before my eyes of people that I've had in my groups, you know, and I think what they experience is feeling normal. They come into a group and they sit with other people who are having their same experience and they find out that all of the stuff that the hurricane of emotions that's going on inside of them and this, I love you, I hate you come close to me, get away from me, all the stuff that they're feeling and experiencing, and the stuff that's prompting their behaviors is normal. And that they are reacting in ways that make sense, that other people are experiencing as well. And I think just that begins to bring the shame down.
0: Michelle, I I wish I could practice with you. I wish I could go work where you work because our thinking is so aligned. And I You know, I work with so many partners who, yeah, they really resist getting support because they feel like I'm not the one who created this problem and I'm not the one who needs to solve it. And on some level, they're right. But what they're missing is that they've been hurt. They've been wounded. They have been damaged. And oftentimes when you're living with an addict partner, you haven't been just lied to recently. You've been lied to and gaslighted and manipulated and told red was blue and blue was green for years. And so by the time you get to really understanding the truth, for a lot of spouses, there can already be a lot of self-doubt, a lot of insecurity that's even been placed there by living with someone who's been lying so often. For me, when spouses come together, I I use this and I just think, okay, if I'm a woman who feels less attractive, maybe I wasn't attractive enough, maybe I wasn't engaged enough, maybe, you know, if I'm doubting myself in any way is the cause of this cheating, this infidelity, I walk into a group of other women who've been cheated on, all of a sudden, I see an attractive, intelligent other woman across the room who's kind of like me, and well, she got cheated on too. So maybe it doesn't mean that I'm the jerk here. Maybe other people can end up in this situation who are just as attractive, smart, and interesting, and it isn't my fault. And I think you know that's part of what happens in those groups. Is that why you think the shame goes down?
1: Yeah, I think the shame is reduced because what you've experienced is normal. Other people share your experience and validate it with you. And then how you are reacting to what you've experienced is also normalized you also see, oh, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane. Like, I'm not just having a really bad year. <laughs> like this is, this is normal. This is what happens when somebody experiences betrayal. And so all of that actually helps you begin to deal with the trauma symptoms and emotions that you're having go through you. And it gives you ways of dealing with it in a different way. And so I would say the other thing that people get in group is they get to see people who are farther down the road than them and they get to hear their experience and how they have dealt with things and groups will help partners often a, a well-run group and a group that has you know some folks that are a little farther down the road can help partners find their most empowered voice in the relationship and they can help them figure out what is it that I need how do I need to articulate this with my partner what do I need to ask for How do I manage this, you know, come close, move away dynamic? Like when they can start to ask for what they need, instead of just acting it out, things start to change in the relationship. But you actually need a lot of help and support to start to do that. You need people who like say, well, hey, this is what I did and that you can call beforehand. And And I
0: hate mine too.
1: (laughs) Yes, I hate mine too.
0: But let me say this, because this, this is really on my mind related to this, is that, you know, in, in essence, you know, just to tie up the whole idea of, of ambivalent attachment or being ambivalent about the feelings and connection you have to someone that you loved deeply and who has hurt you. Part of what you're saying, and it all ties together here, is that the person who's been wounded by betrayal, by cheating, by infidelity, by sex addiction, whatever it is, the person who's at the other end of that, they need a lot of support. And under any other circumstances, had their house been robbed or had their luggage been stolen or had their child gotten ill or whatever, that couple would have each other to turn to. But in this case, that spouse has been harmed by the person that she most often turns to or he, and therefore they are left with a a hole in terms of where they can get their support. And that is in part why it's so important for someone who's betrayed to have a community of support because they can't necessarily turn to the person that they're used to turning to because that's the person. Who hurt them.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. In some ways, it's almost like you need an alternate safe base for a while, you know, because your safe base has become unpredictable and unreliable. You need other people who are there for you and can help you and make you feel stable in the middle of something that's very, very chaotic. And so I do think that a group, therapist, 12-step co- people, all of those folks can start to become this sort of stable place in your life that you can go to, to help deal with the chaotic nature of what's happening in your relationship. And in that way, it does become an extra part of a safe base for you. It's never going to replace your relationship, but it can really help you weather that this stage of recovery in your relationship.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Michelle Mays. Isn't she amazing? (laughs) Thank you, Michelle, so much for your wisdom, your insight. I want to do another podcast in a month or two, because I know that you actually have a book coming out on this topic and and maybe some workbooks and stuff. So I really want to check in with you about that in the future. But for right now, can you tell people how to best reach you? And if they want to connect with you and get your support, how can they do that?
1: So you can find me at partnerhope.com. That's our online uh, website for Betrayed Partners. And I blog there every week or two about things related to betrayal trauma. And there are also some other um, resources coming on that website in 2020. And then they can also find me at the Center for Relational Recovery at relationalrecovery.com in uh, Virginia, outside of DC.
0: Michelle, thank you so much for being the incredible... Well, I don't want to make too many superlatives here. Let me just say this. I work with a lot of therapists who do good work but they don't necessarily work to advance the field. That's something that takes extra time to write articles, to think about the things you think, to write a book. That takes extra time and effort. And so I really want to acknowledge you for that because I've learned a lot from you today, things I'd never really thought about. So thank you for that. I also want to say to everybody, we have a website called sexandrelationshiphealing.com, sexandrelationshiphealing.com. And we offer free free groups for Betrayed male spouses for betrayed female spouses. And while this won't be the level of work that you get to do in Michelle, if you're able to, it doesn't cost anything. And we are trying to provide a space at sexandrelationshiphealing.com for people to drop in and just be with a bunch of peers. And maybe they don't know them and they'll never see them again. And maybe that's even better to get all of this stuff out. So whether you re- come visit us or, or I hope go see Michelle, if you're a betrayed partner, understand, we understand. And it's gonna be a while and you gotta hang in there. Thank you, Michelle, for your time. And I look forward to our next podcast.
1: All right. Thanks so much for having me on today.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com.